Open your Bible, turn over to Deuteronomy chapter 30. Deuteronomy 30, we'll get to 1 John 5 in a few moments. But this is an uplifting message, the certainty of victory because of Christ. 1 John chapter 5, we'll have this week and next, and then we'll move into the book of Galatians on the 17th. But he concludes with two very uplifting, encouraging passages that we can stand upon humbly, victory in Christ. Deuteronomy chapter 30, Moses, just before God called him up to the mountain to take him home, met with the Israelites and he said this, charging them as they were going into the promised land in the near future. Deuteronomy 30 verse 11, for this commandment that I command you today is not too hard for you, neither is it far off. It is not in heaven that you should say, who will ascend to heaven for us? And bring it to us that we may hear it and do it. Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, Who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it? But the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you can do it. See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today, by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways, and by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you're entering to take possession of it. But if your heart turns away and you will not hear, but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not live long in the land that you're going over the Jordan to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I've set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, he said, choose life that you and your offspring may live. May God add his blessing at the reading of his word. And let's pray together. Father, I pray that you will uh, open our hearts illumine our minds with your Holy Spirit. Help us as we sit here or stand here and open your word, God, that you will just do your work in each of our lives. Lord, you know the needs of each one of us in this room. And Lord, we just pray that you'll take your word and apply it to their lives today to encourage, to uplift, to convict, to challenge, whatever it may be. We pray and ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there's many stories we could talk about uh, over the many years about overcomers in our country. Johnny Fulton was run over by a car at the age of three. He suffered crushed hips, broken ribs, and a fractured skull and a compound fracture in his legs. It didn't look as if he would live, but he didn't give up. In fact, he later ran the half mile in less than two minutes. Walt Davis was totally paralyzed by polio when he was nine years old, but he didn't give up. He became the Olympic high jump champion in 1952. Lou Gehrig was such a clumsy baseball player as a kid, the neighborhood boys didn't even want him on their team. But he never gave up and he eventually made, got his name entered into the Baseball Hall of Fame. You realize Woodrow Wilson could not read until he was 10 years of age, but he was a committed person. He became the 28th president of the United States. You might have heard this person's story before, and you might know it, but I'll share it anyway at the age of seven. This person, this guy, had to go to work to help support his family. At nine, his mother died. 
At 22, he lost his job as a store clerk. At 23, he went into debt and became a partner in a small store. At 26, his partner died, leaving this man a huge debt. By the age of 35, he'd been defeated twice when running for a seat in Congress. At the age of 37, he won the election. At 39, he lost his re-election bid. At 41, his four-year-old son died. At 42, he was rejected to be a land officer. At 45, he ran for the Senate and lost. At 47, he was defeated for the nomination to be vice president. At 49, he ran for the Senate again and lost. At age 51, he was elected president of the United States. And during his second term of office, he was assassinated. But his name lives on among the greats in US history, Abraham Lincoln. You never, ever give up. And so through the power of Jesus Christ, we are overcomers. We have overcome sin. We've overcome this world system that seems so strong at this time. We've overcome, or we, we have the ability to rebuff Satan. And we have the ability to only die once without fear, leading to a home in heaven with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's the message in these five verses from the last chapter of 1 John. So take your Bible, turn over from Deuteronomy to 1 John chapter 5, 1 John chapter 5. I encourage you to take out your outline and fill in those blanks. The first main point today is overcome the world by obedience to God's love and commands. Overcome the world by obedience to God's love and commands. In 1 John 5, 1, it says, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. We see that we overcome the world, first of all, most importantly, by saving faith. Saving faith. Salvation opens the door to many, many things. It helps us understand reality through the lens of God's eyes. It helps us, salvation does, to find purpose in our life which leads to great confidence in knowing that we were created in God's image. And he has a unique and individual plan for each of our lives. We're called saints. We're called followers of the way. We're called chosen. We're called lights of the world, beloved, and many, many more affirming names. Those who believe in the name of Christ are his witnesses. And the way of salvation is through the gospel of Christ, as Paul states, in 1 Corinthians 15. And I love, as I was going through my MA in apologetics, Gary Habermas would often tell us, because he was a student of this passage, that this was an early creed, maybe, maybe within hours of Jesus' resurrection, that they would repeat as they gathered together for every church service in their homes. And Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 15, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and which you stand and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you unless you believed in vain. And here's what they repeated. For I delivered to you as a first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. John is talking about true believers throughout this book and he repeats it here. We see repetition throughout this book. Be obedient to the truth, obedient to commands, obedient to love one another. And repetition is important. It means that it emphasizes why you should do these things. Obedience to the truth and God's commands and loves for the brothers and sisters and the family are evidences 
of us being born again. And this gives us assurance. It gives us humble confidence to live and walk in the grace of God. <clears throat> Excuse me, Moody Bible Commentary about this verse says, loving others finds its strongest motive in loving God. Loving others finds its strongest motive in loving God. Verse 1 can be summed up this way if you take the literal translation from the Greek, whoever is believing that Jesus is the Christ has been begotten of God. So overcome the world by saving faith. Second point under the main point here, overcome the world by loving our brothers and sisters in Christ. Look at 1 John 5.2. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. That word obey, observe in the New American Standard means to accomplish, to carry out, to practice. It's in the present tense, which means we are to keep on doing it continually. Of course, we have the divine nature in us that gives us the want to, to obey, to obey is to honor God, to display our love for God, to show we are slaves to God with a servant's heart, and that we want to glorify him whatever it costs in obedience. You see, we will never, ever be perfect in our obedience to him in this life. Paul, who probably was the greatest Christian who ever lived, said in Philippians 3, not that I've already obtained this, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. He says, I might not make it, I might not be perfect, but I'm striving for it. And that idea of Leaning into the tape to cross that line to win. That's the attitude that we need to have. John MacArthur's commentary on this says, Genuine saving faith produces love, which results in obedience. As we love God, we have the desire, because of the Holy Spirit, to follow and do what he tells us to do. So we're to love our brothers and sisters physically and emotionally in Christ. Some of our brothers and sisters in Christ will be our closest friends on earth. Some will be those who we serve with in ministry. Some will be acquaintances that we at church uh, see on a weekly basis or through Bible studies like BSF and community Bible study and other things outside of our church. And some we will love, but we might not necessarily like, okay? We might not be the closest of friends to them. Inside baseball, pastors talk about these folks as EGR Christians, extra grace required, okay? And then some of our brothers and sisters we may have conflict with, but we need to reconcile with them. D.L. Moody said this, every Bible should be made out of shoe leather. I think that's appropriate because he was saved in a shoe store, right? But it should be put into action. We're to live in active obedience as disciple makers for Christ. We're to take what we know about the Word of God and put it into practice. As we have our daily devotions, and some of you even have journals that you write things down, we need to either write down mentally or physically what God is telling us to do as we are reading His Word on a daily basis. 
My pastor was Jerry Falwell, and one of the things I appreciate about it is how he would share about his devotion time. And one of the things that was interesting, he said he got up very early at 6 before the sun was up most of the time. He would get a cup of coffee, he would get a legal pad, he would get a pen, and for the next hour he'd spend time in God's Word and write down, receiving orders from the commander-in-chief what he was supposed to be doing in the day ahead. And that's really what it is when we read the Word of God. And in our men's group uh, Thursday night, we talked about application. What does that mean? It's not knowledge, but it's acting on something that God puts on your heart, prompts you to do through the passage, and to go out and do it. So however you do it, we need to learn from God's word and put it into action. And John is emphasizing here that we put our love into action, starting with those the closest to us, and then out in the broader needs of our brothers and sisters in Christ. A third point under this main point, overcome the world by keeping God's commandments. Look at verse 3, keeping God's commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. The word for there that starts the verse justifies equating love for God with obedience. And we know Jesus said that. By this the world will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another, right? So to love God is to love others. Keep here means to watch over, to guard, to preserve God's commandments. It's viewing God's commandments as precious treasure to be guarded at all costs. 2 Timothy 1.14, by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. We're to treat these commands and these promises as precious treasure to us. Moses talked about obedience in Deuteronomy 13. You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice and you shall serve him and hold fast to him. One of the verses I'm glad I memorized as a young Christian, Joshua 1.8. It's a command but has a promise with it. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. And here's the promise, for, when, for then you will make your way prosperous and you will have good success. Meditate, obey it. 1 Samuel 15.22 stresses the importance of obedience from God's perspective. And Samuel said to Saul, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, Samuel said, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. In Psalm 1, it says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither in all that he does, he prospers. He's blessed. He finds success from God's perspective. So as we read in our scripture reading earlier, obeying God's commands brings about a blessed life. John says in verse 3 that God's commands are not burdensome. What's that mean? Well, in the Greek, not grievous, not heavy, not weighty, not severe, not violent. Loving others by obeying God's commands lightens the load. In Matthew chapter 11, 
Verse 28, verses you're familiar with, and I hope you claim them as a promise. It says, Jesus said, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. When it comes to breaking down the Christian life, for the most part, it's pretty simple to understand what God expects for us to do. But for me and for you, I I think you find out as well, it's hard sometimes to execute those things because we have that sinful nature. We are selfish. And so thankfully, we have the Holy Spirit to empower us and bring us joy as we obey. So God's commands are not burdensome. We carry out our obedience with joy because we love God, because we want to honor him, because we want to glorify him, because we want to please him, and we want to partner with God in carrying out his kingdom work. We're given joy when we follow God's teachings, and we will be rewarded with a blessed life here on earth, but also rewards in heaven. So here's our application today from 1 John 5, 1 through 3. The key to a blessed and abundant life is by following the instructions of the Creator. It's pretty simple, as I said, to understand. Yes, sure, there's some verses in the Bible that are difficult. But like Mark Twain said, the, the verses of the Bible that I, I, I'm more concerned about how to obey the verses in the Bible that I do understand than the ones I don't understand. We focus on what we know and we are obedient and be responsible. So let's look now at verses 4 and 5 in 1 John 5. The second main point, overcome the world by faith, by faith in God's promises. Do you realize that there's over 7,000 promises in the Word of God? Some of them are unconditional, some of them are conditional. Some are for Israel and and some for the, the church age as well. 1 John 5, 4 says, For everyone who's been born of God overcomes the world, And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Christ followers can beat the world system. We can beat the world system. That system, that philosophy that's all around us, of anything that is going against what God's word says, that's what makes up the world philosophy, the world system. And how can we overcome the world? Why? Because Jesus overcame the world. In John 16, in the King James Version, it says, These things Jesus said, I've spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Because we're new creations in Christ who are growing in our faith. Because we continue to find joy. Some sins in our lives leave us quickly when we first come to Christ. And the Holy Spirit has us uh, transformed, and some of those sins leave very quickly. Some of our sins we lapse back into throughout our lives. And then if we're honest, if we look into the mirror of God's word, you and I, we have what's called besetting sins. Sins that are hard for us to eradicate from our life. In Hebrews 12, it talks about this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin, which clings so closely in the King James uh, besetting sin, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. There's a story of a pastor, and he used to, for many years, walk through this 
same park. And as he was walking through this park, he passed a massive oak tree. And a vine had grown up from the bottom of the trunk and was going up the tree. And uh, for a while it seemed small, but over the years as he walked by, the vine got taller and taller. Later on, the entire lower half of the tree was covered by the vine's creepers. The mass of tiny feelers was so thick that it looked like the bottom of the tree was enshrined with bird's nests. Now the tree was in danger. This huge solid oak was quite literally being taken over by these vine creepers. The life was being squeezed from it. But the gardeners in the park sensed and saw the danger. And they did something about it. They took a saw and severed the trunk of the vine, one knee cut across the middle. The tangled mass of vine branches still clung to the oak, but the vine was now dead. That would gradually become plain in the weeks ahead because the creepers began to die and fall away from the tree. For us as Christians, how easy is it for sin, which begins so small and seemingly insignificant, to grow until it has a strangling grip on our lives. Yet Christ's death has cut the power of sin. Yes, the creepers of sin still cling and have some effect, but sin's power is severed by Christ and gradually sin's grip dries up and falls away. That's a picture of what happens in our Christian life. And while we are to live as more than conquerors, according to Romans 8, we will never achieve total victory over our sin in this life. The antidote for that is found in this book in 1 John 2.1. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation. That means to satisfy the wrath of God by his death. He's a propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. To continue to have overcoming victory in areas of our life, we have to rely solely on the strength of Christ. And the Apostle Paul, he, he learned that. He knew that as well. He had a, some kind of disease or some problem. We don't know what it is. And I think God and his sovereignty decided not to reveal that. So we could interject our weakness into this passage. And Paul asked God three times to remove whatever it was in his life. But in 2 Corinthians 12, God said to him, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. And here's the key. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Because he is relying on the strength of Christ and his resurrection power at work in his life. So you and I, we stand in victory based on our position in Christ. God already sees us in our heavenly position. Do you realize that? God already sees us as perfect, as glorified in his sight. Colossians 3 says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. And then he says, Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Talks about in verse 4, victory. And you know the Greek word for that is Nike. You see that swoosh everywhere, right? Nike. It means to conquer, to gain the victory, to defeat. It's a, it was a popular term among the Greeks who believed victory could 
not be won by mortals, but only by gods. Nike was the goddess of victory who aided Zeus in the battle against the Titans. So always remember that we are, are overwhelming conquerors in victory. And as the book of Revelation lays out, we are on the winning side, no matter what we face in this life. General Jonathan Wainwright, he was captured as a general by the Japanese in World War II. And he was put in a concentration camp and he was beaten. He was uh, treated uh, horribly. He didn't get much food. He was malnourished. He was broken in places. His bones were broken. He was hopeless and he was starving. Finally, the Japanese surrendered and the war ended. And a United States Army colonel was sent to the camp to announce to everybody, the prisoners and the guards, that the war was over and that the general was now to take command of that concentration camp. So after Wainwright heard the news, he returned to his quarters there in the prison and was confronted by some guards who began to mistreat him as they had done in the past. But Wainwright, however, with news of the Allied victory still fresh in his mind, declared with authority, no, I am in command here. These are my orders. And from that moment on, General Wainwright was in control. You and I, we have to declare the victory. We have to stand on the promises of God. We have to tell Satan, no, we have overcome you. We've overcome this world system. We have authority based on the word of God. Christ followers overcome by surrendering daily to Christ. Surrendering is the blank. Christ followers overcome by surrendering daily to Christ. Look at our last verse today from 1 John 5, verse 5. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Christ followers have overcome this world system, which is hostile to God, as we all know. And as I see in you know, just the last number of years, it's amazing how darker it's getting faster and faster all the time. In Ephesians 4, Paul talks about those who are not believers in Christ or wrapped up in this world system. He says in Ephesians 4, Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They're darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They've become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. We see that all around us. And so as Christ followers, we're no longer under the world system. It's allures, it's draw, it's authority. As Christ followers, we don't fit in this world. We're passing through and in certain situations, you may find yourself in an awkward place because you're around people who are having conversations with you that have totally different values than you do. You might be a part of a, a, a work environment, an organization that espouses to the things of this world of immorality and falsehood. Take heart, we have overcoming faith. In ancient times, some ancient city rulers had to register the people who were in the city. If they carried outrageous and heinous crimes, the city leaders would gather and expunge them from the roles of the city citizenry. But under no circumstances will Christ remove a true follower of Christ from the book of life. In Revelation 3.12, the 
the one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it, and I will write on him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven, and my own new name. You and I, we are called to take God at his word, to claim his promises, and walk as conquering victors. An anonymous pastor said this, a promise is the assurance that God gives to his people so they can walk by faith while they wait for him to work. We're confident. We don't have a hope-so salvation. We're based on the God who reveals himself to us. A promise is the assurance that God gives us to his people so that they can walk by faith while they wait for him to work. So as we grow in our walk with Christ, the sweeter the fellowship we have with him. The more we can see his hand at work in the culture around us and deeper our love grows toward him. When we first come to know Christ, we are enjoying the newfound fellowship and relationship and the changes in our life that salvation brings. Then as we continue to grow, we begin to understand his lordship in our lives and that our obedience leads to becoming more like Jesus Christ and a deeper love and appreciation of him. In the second phase of our Christian life, he begins to take over all areas of our life as we surrender more of our will and our desires to him. The next stage or phase of the Christian life is that we put into practice with his power, our passion and our spiritual gifts, service to others in the church and in the community. We draw deep satisfaction because God is, used, excuse me, is using us. And at the end of our Christian life, we should be able to look back with little regret but an appreciation of God using us despite our sin and ourselves and know that others have been discipled and others will be in heaven due to the faithful witness for Christ through our words and through our lives. And it all begins not with a dramatic experience per se, but quiet prayers, faithful daily surrender to God's will in our lives, obedience at whatever the cost to God's commands, and claim his promises. That's the kind of conquering faith that unlocks the key to walking daily in victory. So the application here is the key to a blessed and abundant life is by claiming God's promises for our lives. The key to a blessed, abundant life is by claiming God's promises for our lives. Our key thought, our one big takeaway from this message is this. Every Christ follower has the power of the Holy Spirit to overcome sin, Satan, the world system, and spiritual death through our saving faith found in Christ. Don't ever forget it. Don't believe what others tell you against these things. You are more than conquerors through Christ. There's a story about an old Civil War veteran. He was struggling. He was physically unable to work. Civil War was over, he was aging now, and he always had to go around and beg for someone to give him a bite to eat and a place to stay. But he always was talking about his dear friend, Mr. Lincoln. And because of his injuries, he had to get plenty of help, but as long as he could keep going, he would chat about his beloved president. One day he was talking to a group of men on a street corner and somebody said, you, know, you say you know Mr. Lincoln. I'm, I'm not sure you do. I want you to prove it. Well, the old man replied, well, sure, I can prove it. In fact, here, he reached into his 
old, worn-out, dusty wall and pulled out this paper that Abraham Lincoln had signed himself and gave it to him. And the Civil War veteran said, I'm not much for reading, but I know one thing. This is Mr. Lincoln's signature. And a spectator reading the paper said, man, do you know what you have here? You have a generous federal pension authorized by President Lincoln. You don't have to walk around like a poor beggar. Mr. Lincoln has made you rich. To paraphrase what John wrote here in these verses, you Christians do not have to walk around defeated because Jesus Christ has made you victors. He's defeated every enemy and you share his victory now by faith. We need to claim this victory. So are you following God's commandments? and applying the promises of God's word so you can live lavishly in the love of God and then share it with others. Let's bow for prayer. As we go to prayer, as I mentioned earlier in the message, maybe, maybe God's speaking to you about a besetting sin, a sin that clings to you. It's one that you can't You've struggled to cast away, to get rid of. And yet it keeps coming back. It keeps coming back. And you struggle with that. Maybe today, today's the day you can say to God, yes, I recognize this as a sin that's clinging to me like those vines on the tree. And Lord, help me today to take some baby steps, some small steps this week, meaning you might succeed for a couple days and then Go back, but you make progress. You say today, Lord, I want to I begin the process of trying to work through and gain victory in this area of my life, this besetting sin. With every head bowed, every eye closed, maybe God's prompting you to raise your hand so I can pray for you. You have a sin that's clinging to you that you need to let go of, that you know you keep falling back into. Yes, anyone else? Yes. And you want to say, God, this week, help me to make steps. Anyone else, just before we pray. Let's pray. Father, I come before you and I pray with these two folks and myself. Lord, as I battle area of my life as well, that we would together take small steps this week, that you would give us a path to victory a plan, a process, and that we could begin to move down that road. Lord, it's so easy to kick the can down the road and say, oh, you know, I have victory in other areas. This one's not so big. But Lord, you want us, as Paul said, to seek after perfection as much as possible. So Lord, I pray for these folks that raise their hand and myself that you help us this week to try to set aside that besetting sin, to lay aside every weight so we can run the race with endurance and victory for Christ. We pray and ask these things today in Jesus' name. Amen.